Welcome to Excavate, uncovering our place in God's story. I'm Heather Strongmore. And I'm Jamie Dawn. And I'm Ashley Anderson. And I'm Lee Turner. Today we're doing a very exciting recording with the live audience at the Jubilee Conference. Woo! We're joined by Pas- Pastor Ashley Anderson, missions pastor at Church of the City, New York where she is also a part of the teaching team and leads ministries that partner in the spiritual, social, and cultural renewal of the city. We're also joined by Laura Lee Turner. Laura Lee is a Broadway performer, podcast host of Living in the Light, and founder of a women's ministry organization, The Rise Collective, serving women of faith in New York City. Today, we're looking at the women who were with Jesus at the cross and the empty tomb, who were the first to declare the good news of the resurrection and what they have to show us about women's discipleship and the future of the church. Let's, let's dig in. in. So let's start with a little introduction to each of you. Pastor Ashley, can you tell us about what sparked your passion for sharing God's story with others? Yes. So first I'll talk about my passion for storytelling because that started before I was even a Christian Um, I was always a story fixer which was like deeply delightful to me and so annoying to everybody around me but like as other people would be telling a story I would always stop them and be like no you started like too late in the action and you needed to start here and you really like emphasize this too much and this should actually be closer to the beginning of the story and I'd just be like let me tell it Um, and that did not make me a lot of friends but it did bring me joy so I did it Um, and then I went on in my studies I got to study linguistics at a deaf university in Washington DC and through that I got to study like the science of story which was so compelling and so powerful and it helped me understand like why I was always trying to fix stories (laughs) when I was younger Um, and I got to dig into the like here's like the cognitive philosophy behind attention phenomenon and when you make this a subject or this an object it totally shifts the foreground and the background of the story Um, and so I got to like dig into how we strategically like tell stories in a way that like draw people's hearts and minds along into the narratives that we're inviting them into and I got to see like the scientific power of story like humans are meaning making machines and stories are the primary way that we make sense of our experience and our world Um, and there's actually some like really scary data on that like the potency and the power of story um, is now like researchers are catching up to like what God has always said about story Um, and there's some research that shows that if I were to tell you a story today within two weeks most of you would be repeating the fact claims of my story as if they were your own idea because what stories do is they force you into the narrative. Like when we look at statistics or if we even look at like ideas or principles, we look at them from the outside, but the way that our brains work is when we hear a story, we automatically map ourselves into it. We're protagonists, we're antagonists, we're in the story, we're in the mix, and so stories are just these like potent forces that could be used for good or for evil. Um, And so through that, I got to just kind of dig into like, wow, this is why story matters. And then as I became a person, 
person of faith, it just actually illuminated that much more. Like, oh, we are all a part of this much bigger story that humans throughout history have actually told and retold whether they knew it or not. The stories we tell are often just like flickers of the story of like the gospel. Um, and so when I kind of made my move into being a pastor and working in ministry and now as a missions pastor, story has like always been a central part of that. Um, Acts 1-8 was the last thing that Jesus said before he ascended into heaven and it's wait. He told his disciples to wait and he said, my Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So the last thing that Jesus told people to do was wait for power, wait for his spirit and then tell his story. And so that's been such a central part of my life and my ministry since then. Love that. Thank you so much. And obviously that's a huge part of why the Excavate podcast exists is that we believe women have always been a central part of God's story. And it truly does change us when we are able to see ourselves in the narrative. And the opposite, that it has, I think, deeply harmed women when we have felt like we're not part of the narrative and can cause us to question whether we belong in the church, whether we belong within God's love. And so that's so much why we are telling this story today. Well, Laura Lee, I would love to hear more from you about your ministry, The Rise Collective, and your approach to connecting with and discipling women. Yeah, thanks for asking. Yeah, I think I'd like to share a little bit about my personal story because it feels hard to share that without, um, or to share the story of Rise Collective without my personal journey. But I went to school for musical theater, and I kind of had my sights set on New York City as the place to pursue my big dream. And I did that, I studied music theater, and in college, speaking of resurrection, God just resurrected my life. And I had grown up in the faith, but just finding him personally and realizing just how chasing after anything without the Lord, it just ends in despair. And God brought me hope and I really discovered a love for women's discipleship and finding community with other Christian women and getting to know the Lord with them. So with that, I think moving to New York, that was in my heart of, I want to find community here. Started going to Church of the City, where Ashley's a pastor, and just found found my husband there, found a vibrant community at Church of the City. But during that time, so nine months after moving, I was in the Broadway show Mean Girls, and it was the week that COVID shut everything down. So it was quite disorienting to all of a sudden get this big dream and then um, for COVID to happen. And I lost my job. I moved back to Arkansas for a year. And in that time birthed what's now Rise Collective. And it started as an online community. And then when I moved back to New York after the pandemic, just really felt God was planting seeds in my heart um, for this ministry and having vision specifically for New York City and discipling women there. So yeah, we just started gathering women together and there was a real hunger for women there, similar to me, pursuing their dreams, you know, there for fashion or finance or Broadway, and just seeing, wow, this is such a, um, such a time in their life, uh, such like a, a malleable time and a trajectory, mm-hmm. like ch- setting time um, for them and what would it look like to really help them set their sight on the Lord and do that in community. So 
Yeah, Rise Collective now, our mission statement is to intentionally disciple early career women who are hungry to pursue Jesus, seeking to study God's word, and desire to impact the kingdom with their gifts and their work. I was telling Ashley, like, I love the vision for Jubilee that Mm -hmm. is kind of a vision for how do you, in college, uh, start to see, wow, God's put these gifts in in me, and I have these passions, linguistics, like, how do you... Mm -hmm how is this play a part in the bigger story of God and then being able to step into that post-college? It's just, it's awesome to, to see all of y'all's hunger. I feel like it just, yeah, it excites me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love hearing how formative college was in your story. Um, and I hope that sticks with you of like how these seeds that are forming right now um, keep going so and um, the importance of having these these ministers on the college campuses pouring into your lives like that Mm -hmm. is such a gift I didn't have that my first two years in college and then ended up seeking a college ministry through a local church and um but yeah it's such a gift to get to have community during college yeah well um as Ashley said we find ourselves like mapping our own lives into the stories that we hear. And so if you are new to Excavate, what we like to do is read passages of scripture and look at what, peeling back those layers, uncovering what the scriptures are really saying, maybe uncovering some of the things that we've added onto it and finding our place in that story as well. So um, today, we are going to be talking about the role of women in the story of the death and resurrection of Jesus. We often focus on the 12 disciples when we are thinking of Jesus and Jesus's disciples. And we don't acknowledge that female disciples also follow Jesus. And we see that kind of come to a a real climax in the story in the death and resurrection of Jesus. So these were the women who were the last at the cross and the first to the tomb. So we're going to look a little bit at at both of, at um, yeah, the way that the women were the first to the tomb. So I'm going to read from Matthew 28, and we'll just read a few verses to to build context here. Um, so this is, again, the, the women are in grief. They've Sabbathed, and they are coming to the tomb. This is Matthew 28. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. We'll, we'll stop there. I'm so tempted to keep going, but we'll stop there. So it's interesting because there's male guards there, right? They are the ones who are guarding the tomb and the angels come and there's this moment of shaking 
and the angels don't address the men that are there, but they do address the women who have intentionally come to see and to really what they're coming to do, what we know before this passage is they're coming to prepare the body. They're coming faithfully in the midst of their grief and in the midst of their pain to be faithful to this one that they love. And so when the the angels of the Lord speak, I I think it's so interesting that they don't speak to the male guards. They are trembling as well, and yet what we see is that they are intentional to speak to the women. So what do you ladies make of that? What do you make of the fact that women are the first to receive the good news? Yeah, I think it's so beautiful. Um, And I mean, there's all the layers from the different gospel accounts of this moment that just add like texture and dimension to this. But I think what you said is so beautiful that the the women weren't necessarily coming expecting an empty tomb, but they came out of devotion to Jesus. Mm -hmm. They came out of like a deep sense of love and loyalty to their rabbi. Um, And he was their rabbi. As you said, we can so often focus on these like 12 men as the disciples, but Jesus had many more disciples disciples than that. Um, And I think one of the like most beautiful things that Jesus does through his gospel is when Mary breaks the alabaster jar on his feet and he says, every time my story is told, so will hers. And what's like so compelling about that, he doesn't say that about another follower of his. He doesn't say that about John, the one he loved, or Peter, the one who his church would be built on. He says it about this woman who poured her heart out in devotion to him. He links her story with his forever. Um, and so I think there's like so many layers to this. Um, and I ultimately think the one thing that would be true of why he spoke to, there's probably, you know, context around like, why them and not the guards? Um, I just think Jesus will speak to who's hungry for him, who's pursuing him, who's devoted to him. Um, our church has this um, like beautiful culture of like seeking after the tangible presence of God. And we've looked back at the history of times where like God's tangible presence broke in in really meaningful ways. And the question is like, why in those cities? Why with those people? Like it doesn't actually strategically make the most sense that like <laughs> revival came to the Hebrides in this like remote island. Um, and the, the through line is God comes where he's wanted. And God speaks to who he's wanted by, and God presses into who he's wanted by. And so um, I think that what's so beautiful is these women had such deep devotion and such longing for their rabbi that they were the first there and the first to see, the first to hear. Mm -hmm. That's lovely. I mean, I think with Mary specifically, um, just to think about, she had, it says she had seven demons and Jesus had delivered her from those demons. And to, to just think about the kind of deliverance that she experienced um, with Jesus and walking with him, like the devotion coming from her life change mm-hmm. with him. It just It's interesting to think about the, the hunger and devotion that she had in response to what Jesus had done for her. Yeah, we have an episode on Mary Magdalene that I commend to you. I think it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of like new research that would say Mary was called that. Um, basically, not sometimes we think 
a lot of people in scripture are called by a certain name based on where they live. So a lot of people have said like Mary of a place. But what's probably likely is that after her life had changed, mm. they started calling her Mary Magdalene, which means tower. Mm. And so this woman whose life had been changed came out of devotion and of, like was given this commission that we'll look at again later. But I think this beautiful picture of like this woman who is just coming out of love becomes a tower for the church out of that place of real devotion. That's so beautiful. Yeah, I've also gotten to this weekend sit in the creation story um, as we've been walking through at Jubilee, um, the story of the gospel. And um, something that I was curious about as I was reading this text is also perhaps is there a parallel between this and the narrative of Eve? Eve being the, the person asked by the serpent of what God had said. And she like very famously misquotes God. And people give her like a lot of flack about misquoting God of like adding to his word. But to be fair to Eve, when God told Adam not to eat from the tree, Eve was not there yet. She had not yet been created. Um, but all that to say, in that moment of misquoting God to the enemy, I also wonder if like this is a redemption and a reversal, if God has then, <clears throat> sorry, allowed women to be the first people to retell his story, but with accuracy mm -hmm. and with potency. Oh, wow. yeah. Like if this is an opportunity to mm -hmm. undo the telling mm -hmm. of Eve through this retelling of like the fullness of the gospel. Mm -hmm. We don't want to mess up the mic, but I want to like have a loud <laughs> mic drop on that. After that. Sorry, choking on my tie. Yeah, I think that's, that's really beautiful. Mm -hmm. That's such a beautiful point. Yeah, I love that so much. I had never thought of that before. I think that's really beautiful. Yeah, and I'm, just to continue with that theme of why would God have chosen women first, I absolutely think, mm -hmm. agree with your points about their devotion, that they were the ones who were there. And we've talked about this quite a bit on the Excavate podcast, that in the modern Western church, on average, more women come to church than men. Y'all may even see that for those in, in the room with us in your campus ministries. Usually there are more women than men at Christian gatherings. And we have a lot of wrestling, as we should, with why is that. I think what we often do that's unhelpful in the church is we lament the absence of men, but we never celebrate the presence of women. Mm -hmm. And so we'll say, where are all the men? How do we get more men here? And that's still good and right. I want our brothers to be in fellowship with us. I want them to be in the faith. But we act like it's meaningless for women to show up. We act like it, it costs women nothing mm. to be in the room, to be in these spaces, to be at the cross, to be at the tomb. And so we really disregard the costly faith that women pursue every day. And I think partly what Jesus is doing among multiple things is he's rewarding and celebrating their costly faith. They're out at night like it's dawn. That's not very safe <laughs> in the, the ancient world to just be out um, at night by yourself as women. They put themselves through tremendous trauma to stay at the foot of the cross watching Jesus, this person that they love deeply, who some of them were related to, go through this excruciating death and they stayed with him until the end because they said, if you're here, we're gonna be here. We're gonna be where you are. And to your point, Ashley, about a hunger, a passion, a desire of, I wanna be where Jesus is, even if that cost me a great deal to do that. So I think there's some really lovely 
affirmation that Jesus says, I love that women are willing to pay the cost to follow me. Mm -hmm. And that means something to me. Mm -hmm. That is not meaningless. He, of course, invites men into that costly discipleship as well. But both can be counted, I think, as equally valuable and equally costly. Mm -hmm. And I think Jesus is saying, listen, if you're the ones who are here, you're going to get this revelation, yes. and I'm going to reward that. So, Laura Lee, kind of going along those themes, I'd love to hear more because so much of your work is focusing on women's discipleship, which mm -hmm. I think Jesus has given us a proud mm -hmm. legacy of doing. I just would love to hear, what are you seeing right now in women's discipleship? What are they hungry for? What are they responding to? Yeah. Wow. Um, you know, when you were talking about, like, why are there so many women that show up? And I just thought, women are, I feel like we have a tendency towards being relational, and we love to be together. It's like why we, there's so many women's Christian conferences with all the women things to do. It's, it's just, I feel like there's a wiring in us that we flock. Um, and I've definitely seen that in, in New York and I mean, similar, similar to what Ashley said about there just being a hunger for the tangible presence of God. I just see so many women wanting more than what the world has to offer. Mm -hmm. And specifically with just their dreams and their passions, I think finding mm -hmm. this is like, I, there's more to life than this. And I think with that, when they come together with a devotion and a hunger, what I feel passionate about, and specifically with Rise Collective, just this vision of, in Isaiah 60, it says, arise and shine for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you, that like the kingdom is breaking in today. And how do I help other women see that they play a role in this story and encourage them to like step into that, to rise up and I think I, I see, and I see this even in myself in my journey that mm -hmm. I didn't really believe that I could be a disciple maker or that mm -hmm. I was a leader. And when you realize that like the Great Commission is for all of us that you can be one way and then completely different by the power of the gospel that like Mary Magdalene, she, she was one way mm -hmm. and then she was an evangelist, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I'm just so excited about, specifically in New York, in our, in our ministry, just how women are excited to step into their places and in their callings, and how can I be a part of God's story with all the ways that he's created me to play a role in that. Yeah, that's so beautiful. And yeah. I think the room next to us is clapping, as they yes. should, <laughs> as they should. <laughs> Um, I also, I think it would be a much more interesting question within the church, instead of asking, where are all the men, why aren't they coming, to maybe say, why are all these women showing up? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what are we actually doing right that's resonating with and appealing to women? What is the longing that women are experiencing yeah. that can only be met in Christ? And this is somewhat paradoxical. This is my own personal theory through my own practice of ministry. So Jamie and I have both been, slash currently are, female campus ministers who were working by ourselves. So we were responsible for an entire college ministry, mm -hmm. which included male students. And perhaps counterintuitively, we both had thriving men's ministries. <laughs> we just ministered to men successfully. We had high male engagement in our groups, truly just from a place of sincerity on their part that they were receiving 
goodness, the goodness of Christ and the goodness of the gospel and community. So this has been thought-provoking for me, especially in the last two years, as I've specifically been leading again as a woman and leading male students, mm. is I think partly in the Western church, when we want to attract more men, we make things more hyper-masculine. And we, I think, silo men, whether intentionally or not, to say, well, we got to do Jesus and monster trucks. That's going to get the guys to come and, like, grill and chill. And some of that is perfectly fine. If you're into that, that's perfectly fine. It's not bad to have those interests. But we end up pushing men further and further into hyper-masculine spaces, thinking that that's going to draw them, which is also communicating a disdain for feminine spaces. But I think what Jamie and I both saw in ministry is I think what women are doing right is that women, whatever ministry context we're in, we are socialized to be taught by both men and women. Right. So women as when we're girls, we have female Sunday school leaders. If nothing else, we often have female Bible study leaders. And then we're usually sitting under male teaching in the church. So I think that women have always been allowed to receive from the full image of God. We receive... Mm -hmm teaching from men and women who together are fully representing the image of God. Whereas men, we assume men can only learn from other men. And I think that results in men having a truncated gospel and a truncated understanding of the image of God. So I think what's fascinating is that women, I think, are like, wow, God is wonderful. <laughs> this is such a rich community. This is such a rich experience. Because we're allowed to experience the fullness of it, we're socialized to do that. And we don't often socialize men to receive that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Does that stir anything for y'all that you'd like to engage with in any way? That's so compelling. <laughs> well said. Um, yeah, I think that's so beautiful that the gospel is most beautiful in contexts that are most diverse. Like you see the fullness of the gospel. I mean, Pentecost, Acts 2, it plays out in the context of like tribes, languages, tongues, tongues all gathered in Jerusalem. And so I think that's such a compelling vision to call people into. Of You will see more of God when you see more of um, God's image represented in who he created to bear, to co-bear his image. Um, and so that is so beautiful. I also, like something that I was thinking about as we were talking about discipleship, Laura Lee and I earlier, um, and I ran like a couple of cohorts of like leadership discipleship for women in our church who I could just see like carry a mantle um, in our church or in the city. And one of my um, like filters for who I chose were, was this like piece out of um, Second Timothy. Um, where it says, like, what you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to others who will be reliable to tell others as well. Um, and I think something that is, like, true of these women at the tomb and true of women, like, so often throughout, like, the history of ministry is that they also have just been reliable witnesses, like, reliable to get this into the hands of the next person and the next generation, Re reliable disciple makers, as Laura Lee was saying, like, in the context of relationships, sharing the road, but sharing the gospel. Um, and advancing it. And so it also kind of reflects back to like, yeah, who Jesus chose in the beginning was who would be reliable to tell the next person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I and that's why I, I chose Laura Lee. Anything to add. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. Yeah. yeah. I think that kind of brings us to um, the beautiful thing about the story um, told throughout scripture is we get kind of different lenses on it when we 
read from different gospels, um, different perspectives. And so we kind of pick up the commission of Mary Magdalene in the Gospel of John, and we see like the fact that we have this is a testimony to the fact that she is a reliable witness, that she did go and tell the story, Mm -hmm. that she said yes to the calling that we're about to read. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is in John 20. Mm -hmm. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. So we get this commission at this time in first century world where the testimony of a woman was not reliable in court and yet Jesus says these are reliable witnesses these are the ones who will go and tell the story I see them their testimony as valid and important and so um, we see Jesus meeting her in her tears again we have talked about how the women were at the crucifixion they saw the one that they loved crucified and they were navigating what that meant for their own lives, their own disappointments, their own hopes that they had put into Jesus, and also what it looked like for them to continue in their devotion to him. And I just, I love that Jesus meets Mary in the particularities of all that she's holding in the midst of that. Um, And then says, go and tell everyone else. Um, And she does. (laughs) And so, Ashley, can you tell us a little bit, like, what does this story stir in you, in your own calling, in your own role as you call others to go and and tell this story? Yeah. Um, A thing that I'm just so stuck on in this text is the, in the John telling of this, Jesus approaches Mary, and she sees his presence, and she doesn't recognize him. She hears his voice, and she doesn't recognize him. He says her name, and she recognizes him. So it wasn't until she heard her name out of his mouth that she recognized that that was her rabbi. Um, And so I think as, um, you know, disciples making disciples, as pastors, as um, people in campuses, my context, um, as a pastor in a local church, helping people see themselves in the story of God and hear their name out of the mouth of God is probably one of the most compelling things you could do, mm-hmm. is getting them into proximity with Jesus where they can hear their name, his voice speaking over them, their identity, who they are. Mm-hmm. That is life-changing. Like That's when they actually recognize Jesus for who he is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's a beautiful invitation. Um, and then this piece where he tells her to go and tell others, and she does it. She's faithful. 
Good job, Mary. <laughs> um, that, I think, is like the commission that echoes throughout generations. That's Acts 1-8. That's Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. Like we are commissioned ambassadors to tell the story of God to the nations, to generations. Um, and a verse that has like haunted me <laughs> is uh, Revelation uh, 12, 11. They overcame by the blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony. Um, and I was once convicted by God in a time of prayer and what I heard from him was the blood of the lamb has already been shed. And so who's still in bondage because you've remained silent? Like, who is still stuck in chains? Who has not yet overcome? Because they're waiting on the word of your testimony. The blood of the lamb has been shed. Like, there is one part of the equation that the world is waiting on. And it's story. It's his story. Um, and it's the role that our stories play into that greater story of redemption um, in the world. So a lot of how I think about missions, I think about through story um, and the power and the potency of this story spoken first on the first Easter by Mary that we now carry um, today. Yeah, I think probably the college campus and New York City are some of the places where we kind of have competing narratives so loud all at once. Like they're probably some of the clearest pictures of those competing narratives that are trying to tell us another story, trying to get our attention um, and so I'm curious, like, what, what do you see about this story and what is it about these other narratives that um, this story is telling in such a different and more powerful way? Um, maybe in the particularity, as you are both, like, in New York City hearing this, the loudness of these other narratives, like, what, what do we do with this story that is so potent? I feel like what's standing out to me in this passage is that he asks, what are you seeking? Mm -hmm. And I think specifically in a place like New York City, there is so much to seek. You are mm -hmm. overstimulated. There's so much to seek. Mm -hmm. And what Jesus honors is that, I mean, like we were saying earlier, her devotion, but it was being worked out by her chasing after Jesus and wanting more of Jesus. Yeah, I can't remember what you asked, <laughs> but. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, yeah, there truly are like so many people seeking so many things um, in a city like New York. I get to be a part of something called Alpha, um, which is their dinner parties we host all over New York in people's apartments and strangers come to like hear the gospel and have dinner with us. Um, strangers who are like New Yorkers and not Christian, it's so wild. Um, and we like again and again get to see people who are so stamped by the story of God before they know God. Um, people who walk into this space and who hear the gospel and are like, that is the truest thing I've ever heard or like that's the thing that I was 
actually like thinking about or caring um they'll like say back to us things that they've never heard out of scripture but are like true of their experience of like i feel like i have a lot of masters like my job is my master and my relationship is my master but i really think that i'm like ready for god to be <laughs> like my my one lord and we're like yes that's that's the thing um and so there are so many competing narratives but it's so interesting how the human heart is so marked by the story the story we were all created out of and the story we were all created for um but like we are in a very contested place with a lot of mm -hmm. contesting narratives um John Mark Homer in his book Live No Lies, he talks about how like the primary act of spiritual warfare that we engage in is like not even about like demons, principalities, powers. It's really about believing God and like believing his story over all of the competing narratives in the world. And he even goes back to the garden and he says, when the serpent came to Eve to like attack humanity, he didn't come with a stick, he came with an idea. Um, and that idea changed the course of human history, and it's actually like leaning back into the narrative and the truth of God uh, that kind of takes back like the power of the true story in the kingdom. Yeah. Yeah, I loved how you pointed out before that when Jesus says her name, I often quote the Jesus Storybook Bible, which is mm. a kid's Bible told in a beautiful way. And I love the way it says in this passage, um, Mary knew that no one said her name like that. Mm. And it's well, such a beautiful way of articulating yeah. that, like that it was when Jesus said her name yeah. that she was able to see mm -hmm. him accurately. And I think that's one of the loudest narratives is there's so many narratives trying to tell us about who we are. Mm -hmm. And yet like what's so important and so powerful is this moment where she hears her name from the mouth of Jesus is the thing that changes everything for her. It makes, it actually gives her the power and like the determination to be the one who goes to tell the story. I think that later on we find out that the men did not believe them. It was an idle tale to them is what scripture says. And yet in the face of that, hearing Jesus say Mary's name was enough for her to keep telling what people thought was an idle tale. And I think in the midst of all of the stories of what culture and uh, the people around us would want to say that we are, we get to hear from Jesus who we really are and who he sees us as and to hear our own name come out of his mouth and that that really can change everything for us. Yeah, there's so, this whole passage of John 20 is so beautiful. And if, on your own time, if you go back and read the first half, so Mary first comes to the tomb, sees that it's empty, is alarmed, runs to get the other disciples. They come back with her. They're alarmed. They don't know what to do. And so they leave. And she stays. Mm -hmm. And she stays because she's weeping. She's emotional. Mm -hmm. She's distraught she's confused she's hurt of like where is the body of jesus what's going on and part of what i also love about this story is that it's actually because she allows herself to be emotional that she has this encounter with jesus hmm. and speaking of narratives and especially social narratives that are told over women but over men as well is that emotion is weakness emotion is irrational emotion is some is an enemy you have to resist emotion you have to be rational all of these things. We really look down on it as a society. 
And I think it's so beautiful that Jesus says, I'm actually going to honor yes. your expression of emotion, your expression of grief yeah. and confusion and loss and sadness. And because you're willing to stay in that place of emotion, that's where I get to reveal myself to you. And of course, he does go on to reveal himself to the other, to the other disciples, but it's because they were so action oriented and they just, they like don't know what to do. So they leave. And Mary's willing to let herself stay in kind of passive emotionality. She's like, yes. I don't know what to do, but I'm going to cry because uh -huh. uh -huh. <laughs> this situation is worthy of tears. And I think that is a really beautiful invitation for us to allow a different narrative for us as women, for again, for the men in the room and the audience as well of emotion is not an enemy. And actually, when we're willing to be present with those moments and seasons, Christ can reveal himself to us in new ways. Yeah, yeah, that's so powerful. That's like the Joel to rend your heart, not your garments. Mm -hmm. um, like Jesus, the, God draws near to the brokenhearted. Jesus yeah. says in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who mourned. Um, it's like when the kingdom is here, those who are mourning are blessed. Like when the kingdom mm -hmm. is here, it draws near to those who are aching. Um, and I think that, yeah, that has preceded like great moves of God throughout history. People who will actually sit in like the ache and the pain and the things that God is carrying and the things that like break his heart. And then you see like the spirit rush in and honor that. And it's so beautiful seeing that played out in Jesus's life as well, even if it feels unproductive, mm -hmm. like an unproductive moment of like, I'm just going to sit here and mourn. And meanwhile, I also love in this text, you see like John retelling this story and he's like, yeah, and then me and Peter were running to the tomb. By the way, I beat Peter to the tomb. <laughs> it's like of all the things you could have actually written here. It's like, by the way, I came in first. Uh, but meanwhile, it's like Mary who's actually like sitting, yeah, in the emotion of it. It's beautiful. I think something too with this, Jesus knew that he was going to send his Holy Spirit and mm. give himself to them so that they would always be with him and like Mary didn't know that Mary mm -hmm. thought that she had lost Jesus mm -hmm. and I just think it's it's beautiful to think that we as we are in the midst of pain and brokenness we get to draw near to God through the Holy Spirit and mm -hmm. the person that walked with Je with Mary that Jesus is like with us in our bedroom as we pour our heart out to God and yeah what a miracle that is Thanks for being with us today as we have uncovered some fresh things from this. And I hope that you are inspired to think about what it looks like for you to live your life devoted to the Lord and to hear this narrative louder than all of the narratives that are surrounding us. And we will have information about both uh, Ashley and Laura Lee's ministry in our show notes. So you can look there for all of that information. Thanks so much for uncovering your place and God's story with us today. So good. <laughs>